Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to a retro episode of World's Finest True Believers. When we moved the show to the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network, we could not easily drop all the previous shows into the feed. So what we decided to do was to drop them every other week so new listeners can get a chance to hear them and our veteran listeners of the show can revisit some of these golden oldies. If you like the show, please give us a review and rate us on Apple Podcast or whatever your podcatcher choice may be. I hope you enjoy this retro episode, and I'll see you all next week with a brand new episode of World's Finest True Believers. Welcome to World's Finest True Believers. Each episode, a guest and myself will discuss one of our favorite comic book arcs or graphic novels from any publisher. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started. So we've got a new guest on, Lisa from I Love That Movie. Uh, she was kind of the, the structure of the show is kind of based on her podcast, but I'll let her introduce that. So say hi, Lisa. Hey, Chris. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining us tonight. And also thank you for kind of inspiring kind of the structure of this show. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Tell us about your podcast. Well, that's hugely flattering. Thank you so much, first of all. Um, I'm really excited to dive into today. Uh, my name's Lisa, and I have the I Love That Movie podcast. Um, and basically, what we do is we pick, I have a guest that picks a movie um, every week, and we talk about that movie. It's just their favorite film, and we just kind of gush and discuss what we love about it. So it's 100% positive. You know, we're not really critiquing movies. I can't sit here and say it's unbiased. These are the most most biased reviews you'll ever hear. Um, but it's really fun. <laughs> it's just a conversation. And and I've had you on the show too. So so yeah, it's been fun. No, it's definitely. And if, it, as I said, it said at the start, you know, if you would, and the interrupts that I'm a geek of all, all trades, movies are a huge passion of mine too, on uh, outside of stuff. But it was a, a great honor to be a part of that show. For those of my listeners that have never given Lisa's podcast a, a try, if you love movies, definitely you can go through her going on now a little over two years. Um, I was on the uh, Ghostbusters uh, episode. So but feel free to dive into a highly, highly recommend her podcast. It's, it's a lot of fun. And you're being humble. That was a top five episode of the year. So definitely one worth <laughs> listening to. <laughs> well, definitely. I, I'm definitely humble. I'm not one to toot my own horn. Uh, <laughs> I'll toot it for you then. There <laughs> oh, you I appreciate it. <laughs> well, good. Well, um, I know that uh, you do cosplay too. So what are some of your, your favorite cosplays that you like uh, doing? Oh, yeah. So I, I do cosplay. I've been doing that. This is going to sound, I mean, this is going to make me sound really old. But uh, I mean, I, I've actually been doing it for probably about 17 years. 
Wow. Um, yeah, it's a long time. It's I believe me, I never thought I'd be doing it for that long. <laughs> First of all, I thought this was like a phase I was going to grow out of and that just it didn't happen. Um, so I I do like cosplaying. I started out cosplaying uh, anime characters mostly when I was a teenager. That's kind of where the scene started, really. And as I've gotten older, I and kind of phased out of anime. I've more recently done more comic book and movie related costumes. Um, and one that pertains to this episode a little bit, I guess. I've done a few versions of Batgirl, which are some of my favorite costumes to wear. To be honest, I just love that character, and I love the reaction that I get when I wear it. And also, I've been able able to volunteer in those costumes because, you know, children recognize superheroes and love superheroes. So it's just, I don't know. It's just really fun. It's fun putting on a cape. And I feel like when you read these comics, they're inspiring and you just feel like, man, I want to get out there and do something good. And you can, you can volunteer. So that's just like another outlet for cosplay. So, so yeah. No, that's great that you can, you can do that. And also, like you said, you you do this for uh, you know kids in hospitals mm-hmm. and, and just get together. And I know you've you've had some people on your show that are fellow cosplayers too. So yeah. I, I think that's <laughs> that's that's really awesome. And the amount of time you guys put into your costumes themselves is impressive enough. Uh, it's um, sometimes it's it's sad. It's like we spend too much time and money on them. <laughs> But yeah, sure. I'm sure seeing them, you're like, yes, that's great. That's such a good, good use of your time. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I would not call it sad at all. It's, it's your hobby. It's what you, it's your passion. It is, it's what you it love. Is. So don't, don't ever, ever call it sad. Let the people who don't understand it call it sad. That's, they don't exactly. like it. Exactly. To them. Just like people who can't enjoy graphic novels and comics. You don't get it? Fine. Right, right. I don't have to talk to you about it. Yeah. If they don't get it, they should pick up a book and see what it's about. So agreed. Exactly. So good. So uh, one of the first questions I was um, enjoying asking guests is, do you remember what was that you do remember first comic or graphic novel that hooked you into the uh, genre? Oh, man, this is such a tough question for me. Um, Okay, so I used to read comics when I was younger, but I read mostly like memoir type comics, like sort of serious or based on real life or just kind of heavy topics. And that was what I was into. So stuff like Mouse or um, there was another comic that I really liked. Uh, Let's see. I, I Waltz with Bashir, though that was like a movie and a comic at the same time, but things like that that were kind of serious. And then for superhero stuff, that came later. It came a few years ago, and it kind of was born out of me wanting to dip my toe into uh, cosplaying a superhero, but I felt like I could not do that if I didn't really understand or love the characters, and I had such a hard time picking a character that I really loved. And so I went back to Batman because I've always loved Batman, and so I I started reading a lot of Batman comics and I kind of read a lot at the same time. So it's really hard to answer this question because it's like I basically went onto the iTunes store and just picked whatever it suggested to me as like the best. You know, it had kind of like I think it, it suggestions that were like DC essentials. And so I would just start reading. Um, so it's hard to pick one single one. Uh, but I would say, you know, comics like Hush, The Long Halloween, what's that one called? Under the Red Hood, things like that, you know, comics like that were what started to really kind of pull me in. That's great. Yeah. Batman has told a number of uh, some of the recent episodes, people have asked me what what was my favorite. And it's it's always been Batman uh, for the DC side. So no, I can totally understand that. And that you have different 
genres that you have, like with mouse and things with superheroes. So it's mm-hmm. that's a that's a great background that you you do have in what has hooked you. So in that idea, we are heading to a, a Batman centered episode. Uh, why don't you tell everyone what we're going to be talking about tonight? We are talking about Batman and Robin Eternal. It's like a 26 comic collection. Although I'll admit I didn't know that when I started it because I read this all in graphic novel form. (laughs) So I wasn't sure how many issues. I wasn't even, I didn't realize when I started reading it how new it was either. (laughs) So So going with that idea that you, uh, obviously, and I'll admit too, this is a arc that I never had a chance to read, but thanks to DC Universe and and your choice of it, I I went into this for the first time. So this is a a first for me, but you discovered it in graphic novel form. When did you discover it and what brought, what enticed you to start reading it? So I, okay. So I would say, man, it's hard to say exactly when I read this. I think it was about a year or a year and a half ago. It couldn't have been that long ago because it came out in 2015, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So again, I think I read this at a time when I was reading a lot. So it was all sort of starting to blur together. Basically what really kicked off my love for really diving in was the Scott Snyder run of Batman. I just absolutely obsessed with his run. I have all the books in hardback and I basically just wanted more. Um, I wasn't crazy about super heavy. And then this is kind of, I guess, after that. But again, I started reading them when they were already in graphic novel form and I started to read it. And just really fell in love with it because like a lot of Batman fans, I started out just loving Batman and I wanted him to be alone and a Cape Crusader all on his own. But the more I read, the more I started really falling in love with the idea of Robin and all his forms and just what he represents, who he is. And this story arc is all about that. And it's just so cool. It just explores it so well. You know, you still got... Scott Snyder writing uh, along with James Tinian the fourth. We hope we're saying that right. We don't know, but <laughs> sorry if we're not. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, 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 made, we made that. a decision before <laughs> we made a decision before the show. We're going to go with Tinian, and if we are wrong, fans, please be kind and correct us. And yeah. we will on the next episode. I will I will uh, ask for forgiveness for uh, Mr. Tinian for pronouncing his name incorrectly if we are. But if we aren't, then go us. Yes. But yeah, this explores this so fully. And I just I love it. And I'm really relieved when I kind of put out there, you know, before we we started recording um, the past, I guess we, t- we talked about this about a month ago. And so I, I've been going back through and reading it. And I've shared that on social media. And so many other people love this story arc, too. That's very validating for me as a newer fan. <laughs> I'm really glad that other people enjoy it. No, that's that's great. And like I said before, first time I've ever reading this and I'm was excited and glad that I, I can even appreciate it as a as a new reader of this. So I'm going to read a synopsis. This comes from uh, Amazon. I, I seem to have found Amazon, whoever is writing their synopsis, and even if they're not getting it from the back of the book, it seems to be <laughs> kind of hooking me. So the synopsis of Batman and Robin Eternal. Bruce Wayne may no longer be Batman, but his legacy lives on. When an assassin begins targeting all of Batman's past partners, the former Robins must join forces to untangle a mystery that stretches back to the early days of the Dark Knight's career. Years ago, Batman encountered a human trafficker known as Mother. Then, Robin Dick Grayson knew nothing of it at the time, but the case was much more complex than he could have ever imagined. Now, without Bruce to guide them, a grown-up Dick Grayson and his allies must rely on the help of the silent, mysterious Cassandra Kane to pick up the trail and stop Mother's deadly plans. 
so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as we've said number of times uh, already, it's a good synopsis, but it doesn't do it justice. But it's not mm-hmm. meant to. Yeah, and I almost would not want to read that synopsis because before I read the book, because when I dived, when I dove in, I didn't read anything about it. I just started reading it. And that is like such a great way to experience this novel because I don't know, it's just, there's so many mysteries to unlock. It's like, I almost feel like I wouldn't want somebody to know anything. <laughs> no. And it's funny you said that I, well, I just read the, a brief, like the one, one or two sentence, what the first issue was about. So I also went into it without, and there's so many other mysteries and there's so many uh, different twists and turns that you know this is that's kind of the main idea of the arc but it's not the full arc there's so many little things and and so much homage is paid towards these characters totally agree so let's look at this is an interesting one with there are a number of writers artists inkers uh with this idea in mind we're going to focus on what became known as the showrunners for this for this arc and that would be uh james tinney in the fourth scott snyder and uh tonius daniel we will acknowledge the other artists the other artists and writers uh after we kind of focus on these but it just being as long as we're going to be probably talking we want to give credit where credit is due but to go over every single one of them just we'd spend a whole show talking about that oh for sure so let's start with uh, James Tinney in the fourth. Lisa, do you know, have any background information on James Tinney you want to share? You know, I, I wish I did. I, I don't. I haven't read a lot of his other work, but I loved this work so much that I actually got his autograph when I went to Fan Expo this year. In fact, I, I was so excited that I actually I accidentally, accidentally left my copy of <laughs> these books at home. So I had oh, to no. buy a book and have him sign it. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I am a fan from now on, but I didn't know much about him before this. Okay. It, it is, it, you know, your devotion to the work that he helped create, uh, buying that again, probably said, you know what? I will gladly have two copies of this. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, I can't miss this opportunity. What if he doesn't come next year? What if I don't see him again? I had to have it. No, definitely. So uh, some of the stuff I've, I've done research on uh, Mr. Tinian is that uh, he has some interesting connections to Scott Snyder. In 2008, he was studying at Sarah Lawrence College and met and began studying under Scott Snyder, mm. who was teaching at and teaches as we talked about in our uh, second episode on Court of Owls. Um, he was a teacher there and at the beginning of his comic book writing career, Scott Snyder. And so he talked about to uh, comic book resources in an interview saying during the first few weeks of the class, they started talking about how he had been approached Scott Snyder had been approached by Marvel and DC to write for them. And he told them about a rough concept that would eventually become American Vampire. And they bonded pretty quickly. He started lending him some of his favorite comics. He started lending me his. And by the time class ended, they'd be talking a few nights a week and brainstorming different concepts that they would have. And oh, wow. Yeah, and the conversation never stopped. They would have apparently a long conversation to 3 a.m. about the nature of Batman, what makes a great Batman story. So it, it, interesting ideas. And so when when he Scott Snyder was on Batman full-time, particularly during the Court of Owls, and they were heading towards the Night of the Owls were being discussed, uh, Scott Snyder had asked him if he'd be open to writing the backup uh, arcs for the, sto- the story. And he first he thought it was a joke, but after a conversation <laughs> saying, no, this is not a joke, I really really want you to write it. So Tinian has looks to be kind of as Scott Snyder's kind of protege. And, mm. and so um, he did do an internship 
in following school in 2010 for Vertigo, studying under uh, the editor of Fable, Shelley Bond. Um, have you ever read Fables before? I have not. I, I know that's very popular, but I, I haven't read it, no. I can definitely highly recommend it. And, and hopefully uh, in the future episodes, someone will want to look at maybe one of the arcs of Fables. Great, great, uh, great stories. But uh, he was named in 2014, he was named as the writers of the first uh, iteration of just simply called Batman Eternal went on to Boom Studios to write the original series, The Woods, which became the highest selling uh, original series uh, since Mark Wade's Irredeemable. And then in 2015, he was announced as one of the co-writers for the new Constantine, The Hellblazer, alongside uh, Ming Doyle as part of the DCU publishing initiative. And then he got tasked as one of the showrunners for Batman and Robin Eternal. So in a very short time, he, he rose to big acclaim. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. But it makes sense. I mean, I think he, the way that he tells his story, I mean, it just feels like Snyder and Tinian are sort of on the same page this whole time. Like you almost can't tell. I mean, I know there were several writers involved, but it, it definitely has like a strong voice and a strong message that seems very consistent uh, with Scott Snyder's run. So I, I could definitely see that. And it's definitely good of, uh, you know, Snyder recognizing Tinian not only his passion, but that he could not like study under him and, and take on even backstories and then getting his own voice. And I'd heard that he had studied under him, but until I kind of dived into it, I didn't understand the kind of the full extent of how long they've been uh, friends and, and kind of writing partners. Mm -hmm. So, and Scott, you, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no go for it. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say the other connection is Scott Snyder's really the only other uh, comic book creator that I have a signature from too. <laughs> uh, so. I'm jealous of both. I'm jealous <laughs> of both. You have them. I'm, I'm hoping in one day that they'll come down to a uh, Charlotte's Heroes Con one day. So. Well, hopefully when they do, you're more eloquent than I am because in both cases, I just, it got to be my turn and my mind just went completely blank and I just kind of stared and gave them the, my comic. <laughs> and then they were like, uh, what's your name? And I'm like, Lisa. And they're like, okay. And they, you know, signed it to me and gave it back to me and just kind of looked at me like waiting for me to say more. And I just went, thank you. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> they would probably not believe I have a podcast or have ever been on one. I was just like completely silent, but I was a little starstruck. <laughs> maybe tag them in the episode and maybe they'll give it a <laughs> shot and, and realize, you know, she, I remember that fan and she actually does have more to say. <laughs> She's not crazy or creepy. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> uh, we've all been there. Even I've been there. So I, I totally understand. Do you know anything about uh, moving on to Scott Snyder? Um, I mean, mainly what I know about him is just what I've read and um, of his work. And then I follow him on Twitter. So I'm always keeping up with um, what he's up to. And I love the relationship that he has with Greg Capullo, who was actually at the con that I got the signature from, but he came later. So I, he missed his meet and greet. And I was so sad I didn't get his autograph too. But um, I just, he seems like such a genuine, kind person. He has so much enthusiasm for his fans. And, you know, he's He's great. I, I saw a, uh, a panel with him as well. And he's just full of ideas all the time, just like bursting with ideas. In fact, at the time that he was in Dallas, it was right before the uh, DC metal run. Um, so we were learning all about that. And he was sharing like little tidbits here and there. And yeah, I just uh, hearing about him and James Tinian, it makes a lot of sense because that seems really consistent with just the way he is with his collaborators. He seems to have such a strong bond, like a friendship with the people that he works with. 
with. And I, I think, I just think that's so heartwarming to hear. Yeah, no, it, it, and you, we definitely talked about that in the, the Court of Owls episode, a lot about Scott Snyder, but just some quick hits. If this is your first episode, um, he graduated from Brown University in 1998. Um, he is initially started as a short story writer, rose to a lot of acclaim for just being nominated for big short story awards. Uh, Stephen King actually picked two of his stories called Wreck and Dumpster Tuesday for the 2007 Best American Short Stories Anthology shortlist. And one of his short stories, Voodoo Heart, was shortlisted for the Story Prize in 2006. So, And one of the things that we know Scott Snyder a lot in the mainstream for Batman and, and now Justice League, you know, Vertigo, his is the story run in Vertigo for American Vampire is sometimes it seems to now I wouldn't I have not read it but I've heard amazing things about it but now with his storied run of being Batman and Justice League it seems to people seem to forget that he he created American Vampire yeah I have not read that either I've only pretty much read his the main Batman run that he did for DC but I would love to read those short stories Oh yeah, no, I, I I didn't even realize he that's where he kind of got his start in doing it, and that's and you can tell just he knows you know for he's done big arcs, but he knows how to kind of contain stories if necessary, and I think that 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 short story background has helped him. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that his his um, work is so story driven, you know, he he goes deep with the characters, but he also goes deep with the narrative itself. And I, I just I, I, hearing that that's where he got to start, it kind of makes sense to me that he came from that because I, I really feel that the way he tells Batman is just so it's consistent with what we know of Batman and who he is. Like he never really strays from the Bible of, you know, who we know Batman to be, but he's got his own spin on it and he knows how to introduce new elements into his story while still making it feel like it's part of a bigger universe. And I just think it's so cool that when you read his stories, it doesn't feel like he's constrained by that. It feels almost like that's fueling him. So yeah, I just think he's a great writer. No, and you can definitely tell his his passion for it. And he has a way of respecting the history, but also adding more to it and, and bringing more to the the Bat, Batman mythos. So mm-hmm. he's definitely, definitely, if he hasn't gone already, he will go down as probably one of the, the greatest uh, story writers for Batman. So, you know, kudos for him. And, and we'll, we'll be hearing a lot more on this podcast with uh, our part two and threes looking at the Court of Owls, but that's for a later discussion. So let's move on to our, uh, the the other, the artist showrunner, uh, Tonius Daniel. Have you read any comics or, or know of any other comics besides this one that, uh, Tony Daniel illustrated for? You know, I'm not. I mean, if, I'm sure you'll rattle off a couple names and I'll see if it's familiar to me. But, you know, I like the art in here, but I don't think it's the main thing that drew me to it. So I just wasn't as familiar with the artist. Yeah, no, I was the same way. I'd recognized the name. I said, I know I've read stuff, read a number of things. But like you said, just until you kind of say, oh, yes, now I'm seeing the connection with the art. He, like a lot of our, our creators and artists, um, it goes back to childhood. He decided to become a comic book artist. And this is according to a, a DC spotlight on him, uh, decided to become a comic artist in the fourth grade and has never looked back. He made a professional comics debut in 93 on Comico's The Elementals and then went on to illustrate at Marvel Comics for X-Force and Spawn Blood Feud for Image Comics and writing several and illustrating several creative-owned titles, uh, including The Tenth and Silk. He then, in 2005, teamed up with the illustrious Jeff Johns on Teen Titans, and he got his dream job 
according to him, in 2007, penciling the adventures uh, of DC's Dark Knight in Detective Comics, where he first collaborated with, I mean, this is a heck of a first-time collaboration, uh, with Grant Morrison for Batman R.I.P., and then went on to write and draw the book himself uh, during the battle for the Cal run. Mm, Okay. So, uh, and then... Moving on in 2012 to uh, illustrate The Adventures of Superman in Action Comics, and then penciling and scripting the relaunch of Deathstroke title. Um, it sold out and headed off uh, to a second printing. So, you know, so he definitely, he's definitely dabbled in both sides, writing and uh, being the artist. Awesome. Yeah. No, I don't think I've read any of his work or, or seen any of his work in other comics. But, you know, having that background with Batman and the Titans, I mean, that makes total sense why he would be picked for this. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and looking at his artistry, and then I went back quickly to uh, Battle for the Cal, I can see, okay, I, I, I've seen his work many, many times before. But just wanting to acknowledge the other writers of this, since this is, a, like we said, a 26, this was a, a six-month title, a weekly title. There were other writers and artists that were taking the leads from uh, the main showrunners. And so starting with the other writers, we have Tim Seeley. Steve Orlando, Guinevere Valentine, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, and Ed Brisson. And the other artists are uh, Paul Pelletier, Scott Eaton, Alvaro Martinez, Rogue Antonio, Fernando Blanco, Fernando Parasan, Christian Deuce, Andrea Muti, and uh, Marcio Takara. I apologize after that if I pronounce any of your all's names wrong. That's a lot of names. Yeah, you can tell (laughs) definitely when you're reading this comic, the art style changes a few times. And it's done in a very interesting way, just Mm -hmm. how when they do the changes are either flash forwards, flashbacks. Um, So I don't think it was, and maybe at times it might have been jarring, but I think it worked. I think Mm -hmm. they did a good job blending that in. Yeah, I agree. Looking at, as we start getting into the actual art, it's uh, the novel, excuse me, the arc itself. Any, in looking looking at it, what do you know? Did, did you find anything about the creation of the arc or graphic novel? No, I didn't dive into the background of like where the idea came from or, or how they started this project or anything like that. Um, one of the things I found, it actually, as I was reading through the, the comics through uh, DC Universe, it was they actually had a, a number of the issues had uh, a thing called DCU and they actually talked to different showrunners and they actually had one with these main three. And so oh, they asked. Wow. And so um, they. They asked him a number of questions, and so Snyder said, "You know, what was the iterate? What was the idea for this story? This this run, this uh, sequel to Batman Eternal?" And Scott Snyder said, "For the 75th anniversary of Robin, they wanted to celebrate the legacy of Robin, but explore the idea of Robin in a new way. They wanted to show why Robin is always worth having with Batman. Why does Batman need Robin, and what does Robin mean?" Tinian said they wanted a story to shake up the foundation of the Batman and Robin partnership. Bruce is always kept secret from his partners but this is one secret that dwarfs all others this one goes back to the beginning it's his greatest sin and his greatest regret this villain is the most dangerous he has ever faced and Tinian also added that making cassandra having a key role shows how long batman has known about her existence and it's key to unlocking this mystery mm, i like that <laughs> so and i didn't even realize at the time that it was you know, the 75th anniversary of Robin. So, I, I mean, either. Just, 
this was obviously a good a good idea to focus. And I, uh, as we kind of said, at, you said at the beginning, this kind of shows what Robin truly is. It's, it's deeper than a sidekick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Before we go to the next topic, we're going to head into some ads that help the Geek Ultimate Alliance keep the lights on. We don't get to choose what ads come on, and they sometimes can be a bit loud. So I want to give you a three count in order to give you the opportunity to turn your volume down before they come on. Three, two, one. We'll be back in a little bit. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we kind of talked before the show that this is an interesting one. This is one of our this is our first one, really first one that you we're jumping in the middle of some stuff going that has occurred to not only Batman but also uh, kind of the one of the folk main focuses of this is Dick Grayson. What has occurred uh, before we start entering into uh, the arc that you know? Yeah, so I would recommend not even starting reading this unless you've read all of Scott Snyder's run because I feel that there's a lot of callbacks and it builds on a lot of knowledge you have to have about that. You know, at this point, Batman is gone. He's dead. Bruce Wayne is back, but without, you know, Batman's knowledge. Um, So he's just Bruce Wayne. He doesn't remember anything about his sidekick. So he's completely absent in this story, which... I guess it's probably a good way to, you know, let people know that ahead of time because I did recommend this to someone at work and they weren't a huge fan of Robin as a character. So they were like, it's called Batman and Robin Eternal and he's not there. And I'm like, yeah, but it's so good. It's like, I almost don't want to tell people that, but then I guess that is something to know going in. Um, I also really recommend reading the Grayson comics, which I also own and I loved because there's a lot of background there. You know, at this point, uh, Dick is still in Spiral, so he He's he's no longer Nightwing and he's in Secret Agent. And so you got to know that about him. Let's see. I, I think that those are the main things I would suggest knowing before jumping in. <laughs> yeah. And right before the, the spiral is, is that Dick is perceived dead. That's right. Um, yep, he's dead. <laughs> uh, the the noticing, noticing the the trend of Batman dead, but not really Nightwing dead, but not really <laughs> Tim um, Drake. They, yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> the, it seems to be the trend with the the Bat family. You're dead, but not really, or until yeah. a good story comes along. But yes, um, as most people as people can figure out, we're going to do a deep dive, so we're going to spoil a lot of things. But uh, the forever evil arc, Nightwing was captured by the crime syndicate and his identity was revealed to the world. He was attached to a device called the murder machine um, that was a bomb controlled by his heart rate. Lex Luthor finds a way to keep his heart, uh, stop his heart, get him out of the machine and revive him. But Batman convinces Dick to remain dead to the world. And he that's how he joined the, 
the organization spirals. So as we said, Dick is dead to the world. Nightwing is dead to the world, but not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I, 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 you are right with the uh, Scott Snyder arc. If you wanted a kind of stopping point as is around super heavy, mm-hmm. this kind of the, the arc of super heavy kind of would be once you kind of read that, you kind of see where we're at. But as we said, Scott Snyder's entire run with Greg Capullo, just an amazing, amazing run. So, but that's kind of where we're at as we jump in. So it gives you some familiarity with it. Um, so it's tables have turned now, Lisa, um, how would you like to approach this in the sense of going through the plot? I mean, there's 26 issues, so I'm, I'm sure we won't necessarily do a, a, a deep dive in each single issue. But, um, you know, looking at what highlights you want to talk about, some favorite key parts, characters. I mean, there is in 26 issues, there is so much and we're probably not going to be able to hit every little part. But, you know, where do you want to start? Um, so I tend to jump around a lot. That's just how I think. <laughs> I would love to do chronologically, but I feel like I won't be able to. <laughs> so, That's fine. so let's That's do some, fine. yeah, let's do some like favorite scenes. Um, and I think, let's see, I'm going to look at my comic as I'm saying this real quick. And I, I, as I went through, as I was reading, I li- I'm put it in my Apple notes page. And after every issue, I just jotted down notes of just different things just because I said, man, there's going to be so much to talk about. I at least want to give the highlights that so I can remember each issue. Yeah. Um, so the first scene that jumps out to me the most, honestly, is when we find out, you know, that there's a secret that Batman didn't tell Dick. And there's that whole like fear toxin scene with Scarecrow because Scarecrow is in this story. It's in the past, you know, it's the, the whole arc kind of takes place in two timelines. It's Dick Grayson's past with Batman in a mission that he's remembering where he didn't get some all the answers he thought he did and was a pretty pivotal or pivotal, sorry, moment for him. And then the present uh, that he's grappling with now. And he in, in the story, he's going back and revisiting a lot of these places from this mission and looking at it with like new eyes. And he's trying to find out a mystery. So the scene where we find out that... um Scarecrow gave Dick this fear toxin and it caused him to, you know, imagine his worst possible fear. And we learned that his worst possible fear was just that, you know, Batman was disappointed in him, um, that he didn't live up to who Robin was supposed to be. And, you know, it's something that haunts him after that. He's He has a really hard time letting it go. And now in this story, he's sort of revisiting all that again. I really like that because, I don't know, I just, it's probably the first time I visited Robin having like those doubts like that. Um, And I thought it was a really good way to introduce, you know, why does Batman have Robin and ask all these, I guess, painful questions like, you know, he's not as good as Batman. Uh, He was a kid. Um, Did Batman ever have any moments of weakness where he thought maybe I could do better? Um, And I just really like that scene for that reason. Yeah, no, it it, it kind of kicks off the 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 whole idea. Of, you know, I found it interesting too that, and it may be something I, I haven't read, but the way they portrayed Dick's costume, it, it looks very much modeled after what Tim Drake before New Fifty Two. Everything it looks very much similar to his costume. You know, it gets it would be kind of ridiculous looking in today's <laughs> society with what Dick was wearing in the in the originals but um just seeing that self-doubt and how much he idolizes 
Bruce and, and what he's done and, and kicks himself. And we've sometimes seen Batman be the opposite, the one being harder on the Robins. And maybe that's because of who he puts Dick up as and comparing mm-hmm. all the other Robins to, to and how hard he was on Jason, Tim, um, always being compared to Dick. And Dick's the one beating himself up, being the first, saying, I, I, I'm not as good as you. Yeah, and in and, and sort of, I don't know, it's like I feel that – you know, Dick is different from the other Robins a little bit. I mean, they all have an affinity for Bruce, obviously, and he's a mentor and all that. But I think with, you know, with with Dick, I mean, he's def- they're definitely partners, like he mentions, but it's more than that. You know, you really feel like they're father and son. Um, and that's always sort of an awkward dynamic, I think, to their partnership, because I think, you know, Batman's always asking himself, you know, I, I think he's worried sometimes, like, is he doing this just to impress me when his real drive should be bigger than that? And it shouldn't just be focused on his relationship to me and um, is this hurting him? You know, all, all those kind of questions. And so I just really like the fact that it explores that. I think, you know, the Dick Grayson character, he's, I think he's like the most sensitive and the most, I don't want to say emotional. I mean, everybody's emotional, but he is more, I guess, open with things like that. So he's, he's definitely like, I don't know, he's just more sensitive, <laughs> you know? No, I, I think that brings it up. I, one of the, the notes I have flashing to issue three, you know, Cassandra Kane at one point goes to each of the Robins and I had to read it a couple of times, but I, I finally, I got it. Yeah. You know, I love goes, that up, goes, goes up to Jason and touches his fist. Goes to Tim, touches his head, goes to Dick and touches his heart. Jason is, thinks with his fist. Tim is the the brainiac of the bunch and Dick is the heart of the Robins. Yeah, I think selfishly, I love the idea that Dick being the heart is put on, I guess, the same level as the other Robins in terms of their importance. Because I think a lot of times... I don't know, especially when it comes to detective type heroes, Um, you know, Batman, he used to be thought of as sort of like, you know, a loner, right? And so I think a lot of times people consider maybe some of the attributes that Robin has is kind of silly, you know, especially like in some of the older stuff. Um, But I think, you know, his compassion and his heart, the story kind of shows why that's such a big deal. And I think I love the idea that this whole arc explores the I, explores the fact that all the different Robins sort of represent the best parts of Batman, sort of like the strongest versions of, of a quality that Batman had. So you know, like you're saying with Jason being the fist and Tim Drake being the brains. And then I think Dick is sort of different from all the other Robins because he's the heart and that's a little bit different from Bruce. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, I just, I, I really like that idea that they're sort of like different, almost like aspects of his character. It's almost, it's almost in the idea that Bruce is the amalgam of all of them. Yeah. And in, in the, in the sense, like they, they are a different part. And there's probably some psychoanalysis about it that, <laughs> you know, it, it, that head, fist, and heart. Bruce has all of those. It's just a question of what's guiding him at one point. One will always overrule the other or, you know, reduce it. But, you know, you kind of said looking at the this whole story as Robins, it's even not even characters who are quote unquote Robins. It's the other, either a part of the allies, the Batman family who were also inspired by the Robins and, and Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how we get that sneak peek in the story of uh, this is before Robin War, right? Yes, yeah. yes, because in the they in the issues, yeah, in the issues they they I was reading on DC Universe, it has like you know upcoming issues for Robin War. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, where do you want to head to next? Let's see another scene that I liked, or 
maybe part of the story that I really liked. I I actually really like the idea of Mother as a villain, um, as sort of like the like anti-Batman or I don't know how you want to say it. They, they kind of set up this idea like I know one of the characters it might have been Poppy. I, I'm not sure which one it was but one of the characters was reading I guess like had looked into Dick's background and Dick says something like this guy's a real psycho or this lady's a real psycho. He, he might have been talking about Mother and another character says oh you mean like a, a guy that wears leather and trains child soldiers or something like that. Do you remember that line? And <laughs> yes was, I do. And he just goes ha ha. You know he's just kind of like well, it's funny it's funny because it's true she's you know she's like the dark side of this i mean on some level i at one one reason why it's always been hard to show robin on screen is because when you really sit there and think about it it's kind of dark this idea of an adult training a kid to be a little crime fighter is just there's something dark about that you know it's like i don't want to think too hard about it or I'm, I'm i'm gonna have problems with it so mother is kind of like the worst possible version of that which makes batman look a lot better by comparison and they kind of explore why he's not that. But I like Mother as a character a lot. I thought that whole assassins training academy thing she's got going on is really cool with like the ballet uh, scene that we get later mm-hmm. and you know just this idea that she took you know Batman was born out of trauma um, and we later find out mother was also born out of trauma and this idea that that's like a that can be a transformative moment that propels you to your destiny or you know your real future and so she takes people she takes it a step further and she actually traumatizes people in order for them to become these great assassins she breaks them down so she can build them back up and batman uh you know when he takes dick grayson it's kind of a similar idea where dick uh saw his parents die in front of him just like bruce did bruce was there to witness that and then he steps in and you know, essentially turns him into Robin. So mother is doing the same thing, except that it's much worse. She's actually causing death uh, because she sees it as necessary for their growth. And then later in the story, we found out she has a new idea of how to, you know, get these little assassins out there in the world. But I just thought that was so cool and explored so well. Like sometimes, you know, I've, I've seen in comics where they try to introduce like a new villain and it just feels like it's fine. But I just, by the end of it, I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, we could have Two-Face back or something. Um, but... <laughs> But I really like Mother. I feel like because her motivation is so deeply rooted in what would happen in a Batman universe, I accept that she's there. And I think having Scarecrow there the whole time too, even though he's he's really like a side villain, um, he's he's utilized pretty well and he's there consistently. I think he kind of helps bring a little bit of balance to that so you don't feel like you're in complete new territory. But Mother also fits along pretty well as a villain for the, the Spiral, the Grayson books as well. Uh, because she seems very like James Bond villain. Um, it's very cool. Uh, so, so yeah, that I, I really like that aspect of the story a lot. And kind of as you were talking, I was just kind of thinking about a, a connection that they, you know, mother is kind of the, uh, not, I wouldn't say exactly the same, but in, in a different way, a, a different version of taking uh, Ray Sal Ghoul's um, idea of, you know, the League of Assassins, but taking it to a different level. Mm-hmm. And and bringing out the idea that, like you said, the trauma and using trauma and creating the trauma to embrace the trauma to become that that assassin. And it's interesting because you know, kind of like you said, uh, Scarecrow is a, a side villain to the main villain of Mother. Well, if you think about Batman Begins, he was the side villain to uh, Ra's al Ghul. Oh, good connection. <laughs> I like that. Did not even think of that. But you're right. She's very similar to Ra's. 
or Roz, or however you want to say her name, his name. Yeah, so, someone's going to say it's Roz, race. So I'm going to go with race right now, and I'm sure I'll go back and forth with it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's an interesting of how they use Scarecrow's fear gas for, for something more, and, and, it, and they were able to lead that to it, because when you see the the introduction of Orphan, uh, of who we eventually find is Kane, what the fear gas is being used for mm-hmm. at that point. It's It's very interesting. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, I had not thought of that connection, but it, it's it, it's great. I love that. So, um, and, and thinking and going back to uh, some of the some of the other, what did you think of? You know, it's it's Dick's story, but it also bring in a couple of other Batman allies and and, and those who've been inspired Batman into the story, like uh, Harper Rowe and um, Spoiler, and you know the introduction of Cassandra Kane. How did you feel their their portrayal and, and what did they bring to this story? So. I'm not going to lie to you. At first, I was not sold on Harper Row right away. Like, I had no problem with her as a character. But, and I'm sure, like, older Batman fans probably feel this way about characters I like now. But I was worried that they're starting to get to be a point where we don't need any more new sidekicks. <laughs> Which is ironic of me to say after so many Robins. But I was worried about that with her character. I didn't know much about her. I think you see her a little bit in some of the other books we talked about. Maybe in Super Heavy. I can't remember. But... Mm-hmm. You know, her her origin is interesting. We find out, you know, that she saw her her mother die and then she's raised by her abusive father uh, with her brother, um, Colin. And uh, she basically becomes a hacker and she finds Batman after he saves Colin one day. And, you know, she kind of forces him to let her be a sidekick and all that good stuff. I, you know, the way that she's used in the story, I think is pretty perfect because I felt like the whole story, I was too focused on the other robins that was like a total like red herring like dick is the whole story going which one is it you know he's like convinced that it's not him (laughs) but Uh that some of the other robins because you know tim drake is so smart and jason is so ruthless and strong you know he's he's worried that one of these other robins is is the uh the assassin kid that mother built and when you find out at the end it's harper like i i had forgot about her you know because you see her a little bit and she's always there but she's just not as strong as the other characters are yet because she's so new so you kind of underestimate her. And, and when you find out that it's her, you're like, oh, I, I really should have seen how similar she is to the other Robins <laughs> and why she's probably, you know, it. Like, I should have seen that coming. And then on the other characters, I've always liked Stephanie Brown. I like her personality. I love when she's spoiler or when she's Batgirl. I haven't been crazy about when she's Robin as much, but I haven't read a lot of when she's Robin. I just see her more as spoiler or Batgirl. And I think her background uh, with her father and all that stuff is really really interesting and fun to explore and i just like that she's so different from you know barbara or um any of the other female characters um and then cassandra kane i i have to admit again with her i haven't read a ton about her i knew who she was i knew that you know eventually she's batgirl but i didn't know much about her origin and i really like the way that she's told here i hope that this is the route that they go when in the birds of prey movie it kind of looks like they are and i think it's just very interesting and compelling and um she's very very likable and towards the end you're just like oh she's a sweet little princess that kills and (laughs) she's precious but yeah i think i think all the characters are used very well like i i didn't at the end of the story go well i really could have done without so and so or anything like that i thought all of the bat family are used really well in the story 
No, and I, I fully agree with, with Harper Rowe. I saw bits and pieces through stories I had read before this. Wasn't sold on her as a character. Didn't necessarily dislike her. I just said, okay, it's someone who's in, another one who's been inspired by Batman to, in, a, in a different way. But like you said, when that sudden revelation of how connected she is to the story it was a big shock. And, um, you know, kind of like when we get a big introduction, like in issue two, when, um, you know, the, the Cassandra Kane's father, who is orphan at this point, but we don't know the connection yet that uh, Cassandra Kane and Orphan that's uh, father daughter all like he jumps into uh, Harper's apartment other Robins start jumping in and spoiler arrives at that point and I, I, I kind of laughed really hard when Dick gives his fall in line he says like what are they get or are they giving out costumes and cereal boxes now <laughs> well yeah especially because and they explore it in these comics you know Harper and spoiler are not they're not trained the same, you know the same way that the mm-hmm. other characters are I mean Harper's been training a little bit but not really. And so not as much as the other characters. So you don't feel like they've earned their place. And kind of like Dick says, it feels like they just got those costumes. I think that's a really good like meta moment for the author to be kind of like, look, we know where you're coming from. We're going to fix this. <laughs> like, just hold on. And yeah, I think it's just handled so well. <laughs> and it's just interesting. It's, it's a testament to where Gotham is right now with Jim Gordon is, is the Batman, but not the Batman we're used to. So it seems to be like a free for all of who's going to keep keeping Gotham safe with all these heroes running around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So kind of looking at the idea of, of you know, we you hinted at it with, with Mother's plot at that point, looking at kind of Bruce's and, and Batman's kind of journey in the past to what this mystery is, that, that was kind of shocking to me uh, of where this was going and what was mother's true plot with this whole thing. Yeah, she sort of, I mean, you find out later she set all this stuff up. She orchestrated, you know, Bruce's, I guess, moment of weakness with Dick Grayson. But yeah, essentially in Prague, whenever Dick has this moment of, you know, fear and he's questioning and he's, he didn't listen to Batman. He kind of jumped head first. And as Dick Grayson tends to do, jumps with no net, kind of his thing. He makes a mistake and he gets hit by that gas and then he's super regretful. And, you know, Batman's basically like, I can't take him out like this. And that's kind of when Mother swoops in with this idea of like, you know, he's not really working out. For you, but I love the way she it, it, it happens. It feels like it happens organically because I think at first he's at a party. Bruce Wayne is, mm-hmm. and his friend is talking about how he essentially bought his wife, and um, it, they set up this idea that this is like something the uh, elite have access to. Like they're so rich that you know they can literally have anything, and so this guy literally bought a wife, and he's explaining the process to, to Bruce, and so Bruce you know gets in contact with mother because he's like this is. Mess- messed up and a terrible idea. And so he lies to her and says that he wants a wife. But then she finds out his identity because of a mistake Robin makes. And then she says to him, you know, what you really want is is a son, a better son. And also his friend had hinted at like, you know, I know you've got Dick, but you know, he's not really your son. He's your ward. And don't you want like a real heir? Like, it's cool that you took that kid in and took care of him, but don't you really want a son? And you know, mother furthers this and she even brings up, well, you know, he just messed up recently and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Bruce is in sort of a vulnerable place thinking about all that at this point. And that's, that is like kind of shocking. I mean, it's upsetting, especially when he's telling Dick like, no, of course not. I love, you know, you're great. And like, I never have any bad thoughts about you. But then on the other side, you know, she's asking him these hard hitting questions and it, it looks like at least he's considering it. 
Yeah, no, and, and it's interesting that I always I always struggle sometimes with with that being a huge reader of Batman stories. I always say, does he really feel this way? He's always got a plan up his sleeve, but you know, I'd like to think that there is some truth to his his fears. You know, mm-hmm. is someone and that the the air they say we we make the assumption, and it's just society. We we can delve into that later. It's like, oh, it's air. It's a sun. Mm-hmm. When you find out it's it, it was Harper. Yeah. At that point, that you know, people can say, "Oh, it's just, it's just it's just a change of society." It's like, but I, I as I think back, I said, like, "Yeah, why not?" I mean, she may with with training and everything like that, she she could end up being the better of them all at that point. Right. I mean, I think because the first few Robins were male, and because there's this father son dynamic between them, it's sort of misdirection. You know, you're just so focused on an heir being a son, but yeah, they, they don't necessarily have to be. Yeah, I don't know. I every time that they explore this dynamic, it's like my favorite for some reason. I don't know. I think just because it mirrors so much Batman's relationship with his parents, and I've always kind of, I've kind of seen the Robin character a little bit as him trying to fix what happened. You know. Know, he lost his parents and it's like he's starting over with a new family and you know this idea that maybe it's not really working out it's almost like the batman part of him is interfering with that you know a little bit like he's so i guess i don't know pragmatic that he's too focused on what robin should be and could be doing and not focused on him as a person and so i i don't know i really i really like that and also just from like an outside perspective like if you saw a huge billionaire take in this like orphan kid whose parents got killed i mean that does kind of on the outside that might look like a charity case right like almost like i'm doing this for the optics of looking like a good person Mm-hmm. And that other guy says that to him. He's like, that's great that you did that. Yeah, super nice of you. That's like almost like he was saying, that's great of you to, you know, give that big donation. But like, let's talk about your real life. And I think that's <laughs> like a really upsetting moment for Bruce, this idea that maybe other people are looking at, you know, him taking this kid in as like some kind of publicity stunt. And then on the flip side of that, uh, to other people that he just wanted a little child soldier that he could train. It's just cool that they're taking all these like weird aspects of that relationship and making it like make sense. Like, how do I, how do, how do we come out on the other side where we kind of get to have our cake and eat it too? He does hide all this stuff from, from Dick, but in the end there, there is some goodness to to it and you know he he did do a good thing he had a moment of weakness sure but in the end it's like he did the right thing and i i just love how all that stuff fits together in the story no and, it, and it's and it's the idea that yeah you, you, he capitalizes i mean that poor guy says i bought a wife and the first mistake he he did was talking about fight club and he paid for it with his life <laughs> right yeah they both so, did yeah yeah <laughs> Like um, immediately. <laughs> yes, as orphan David Kane was there and said, "Oh, sorry, you talked. Sorry, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, not what you're supposed to do. You know the rules." But looking at Bruce's, as I said, you know, we don't know what the game Batman and Bruce are playing, but they capitalize on that weakness, saying he wants an heir, he wants someone as a legacy, but also, you know, taking away that that pain that when that tragedy occurred to Dick and, mm-hmm. and then the later and then the later other Robins at that point, and just seeing that idea that you could quote unquote find the perfect heir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But looking at you know, kind of you know, there's just so many different characters, and I think. 
kind of the theme of this whole this whole arc we'll probably visit this when we kind of head towards the end but just it's the relationships what yeah. dynamics you know father to son father to daughter daughter mother to daughter uh mother to son and it's it, this is a huge book with the theme of relationship brother to brother brother to sister it, it's the relationship the, it is a relationship book and looking at different types of relationship that a family has with each other yeah absolutely i i like you know i mentioned it earlier the ballet scene where you know one of these children that uh, mother has designed is this woman that becomes a ballerina and her mother knows deep down that at any moment you know that's kind of the the bad part about buying one of these designer kids is that they can be turned at a moment's notice when they get a phone call to become a killing machine. And um, when she's called to do that, to give up her daughter for that purpose, she's telling mother like, no, I just want a few more moments with her. And I just thought that part was so cool because I don't think I've seen this explored in any of the other comics, but I almost like the idea of like exploring that Batman and Robin relationship, like almost like, uh, I don't know, just think of like the relationship that star athletes have with their parents kind of thing and so i kind of got that vibe with this ballet scene i thought that was kind of neat like you know she wanted the perfect ballerina daughter and i think that as a society sometimes we have problems with this idea of you know kids being vigorously trained and molded into these athletes or ballerinas or singers or whatever um and so i kind of thought it was cool that they sort of snuck that in and, and that's sort of a parallel again with the other part of the story no, and I think that's that's great. That very good. We can compare that to you know that with David Kane and Cassandra, mm-hmm. and yeah. that that is a, that is the what you kind of said with the mother and the daughter, the ballet dancer. I think that's a perfect uh, comparison with what David Kane is doing to Cassandra yeah. and his his subterfuge uh, uh, mother and how mother reacts. That's angrily that this she viewed this as a betrayal uh, of it. But it, I, I have to say, out of all the issues. I think the, I wrote it down. My the thirteenth issue, right in the middle of the whole arc, that was my favorite story. All focusing on Cassandra's background, and you know, so much of the story is to silence and, and her her actions and looking at who she became. I just love the scene where she took the blood and created the bat symbol yes. on her face with blood. <laughs> so cool. I was like, "Oh, Cassandra, you are such a you're such a, a ba." <laughs> yeah, she's like a, a a more endearing Damien. Like you know, I guess if if Damien couldn't talk, maybe he would be just as endearing. <laughs> and, and and so many times we wish Damien would just. You're so arrogant. We get exactly. it. We know it fits your character, but sometimes we just want you to shut up. Hey everyone, before we go to the next topic, we are going to head into some ads that help the Geek Ultimate Alliance keep the lights on. We don't get to choose what ads come on, and they sometimes can be a bit loud. So I want to give you a three count in order to give you the opportunity to turn your volume down before they come on. Three, two, one. We'll be back in a little bit. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Exactly. And so she's silent. And so that's great. No, but no, no, I really like that her, her character and her relationship with her dad. And, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a power dynamic there because they're the parent and the, the, this whole story explores like the boundaries of that, like how right or wrong is it to use that relationship in shaping somebody, you know, how, what is too far. And so like, I, I really like that all these different examples and yeah, Cassandra Kane is completely awesome in this story. And, uh, they, they explore her so well. And I'd, I'd only been familiar with her. It took me a minute to figure out as, as I was reading this, Cassandra. So, oh, the, Cassandra. And then when they weren't calling her orphan or things like that, I kind of realized the place in the story. But I'd seen her when she became Batman pre-New 50, Batwoman, uh, Batgirl pre-New 52. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of a, like you said, it's a very interesting. And I like the way she has been brought. Um, if, if you haven't read it, and I didn't read this before I read this, you know, the detective comics run of the beginning of Rebirth it is, it, it's a great exploration of, of, of Cassandra after uh, Eternal. Oh, okay. And, and, and yeah, I'll have to check that out. Her, her on the the team that that Batman assembled for for this. It's it's you know she does have a, a number of great. There's one particular arc that is focused mainly on Cassandra and who who her mother is at mm-hmm. that point um, because she does have a mother and it's very interesting to see who that mother really is. Ooh, um, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> the stories <laughs> do such a good job of like keeping you so focused. It's like oh yeah, obviously she has a mother too, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not uh, mo- and, and it's not this mother either. <laughs> yeah, different mother. <laughs> um, but uh, another one that we talked, uh, you know, I said that talk about relationships, a, a, a character that has had a very, I would say, very controversial history, but I think he's been given a better story, but one that didn't have relationships that we don't know the relationship and who's connected to is, is um, Azrael. And, and I, that one completely surprised me uh, of his his introduction to this whole story. Oh yeah, he's just like another orphan, basically in this. Yeah, one. And, and that he's taking in, and his the revelation of how much he has been used, and his memories are not his own. Yeah, so. I have to be honest with you. I don't know a ton about Azrael. I've I've seen pictures of the character, and I was reading an article about how his outfit and every his look and everything. And this is like a, a callback, a love letter to the way that he looked in the '90s. But since I don't have a lot of background on him as a character, this part of it, like you know, I just kind of read it straight through. I didn't know anything about him. And I would say that's probably great that you know you weren't kind of influenced by what he he was back in the the 90s in the uh, nightfall saga and when he did become batman i know that you know it's very controversial decision what was done how he was portrayed and things like that but i Mm. was never i was never down on jean paul valley during the 90s it was you know like with everything as why i created the show it's you don't like this that storyline or what it was you can always read something else but i think that (laughs) (laughs) you can i like his kind of new backstory in this, in the rebirth universe and that it kind of gives it some, you know, he, he is a very tragic character in this arc mm-hmm. and, but he, he is given some, some understanding. And, and I like that he was even given a, a part in this story. I would not have ever said who, who's missing in this. I would not have picked Azrael and they, he fits into this very well. I don't feel like he shooed into this. 
Yeah, well, you know, this story goes in so many different directions. Like, it's so bonkers. And, like, I, at this point in the story, I was like, wait a minute, what? Where are we going here? <laughs> like, I was like, what's happening? Like, it started getting, like, almost medieval on us. I, I didn't know what was going to happen next. But I think it was a good idea to, to explore all these different storylines because there's just so many different characters. And so it's just really cool how this ends up fitting into the grand scheme of things. And it's definitely, like, a fun, I don't want to say like departure from the main storyline but it's it's a fun avenue that they go down Mm -hmm. and and, you know seeing you know the different parts like there were always a series of of issues that focused on okay we're going to focus on the dick's team and then focus on you know tim and jason and and then joining up with azrael at that point and then kind of going back and forth it worked really well that you got kind of little mini story arcs like you said little breaks in between that you know look as we start heading towards the end what did you think of the revelation of Harper's place in this whole thing. You know, we talked about the revelation that she was supposed to be the one, but when Batman didn't fulfill Mother's bargain with her, I I was just heart-wrenching having uh, that revelation be revealed about Cassandra, Bruce's role in this, who what had happened to her parents. I mean, that was heart-wrenching. Yeah, um, I think especially finding out that Cassandra killed her mother. She was supposed to kill both of them, but she just, she had some doubts and she was kind of like, I don't want to do this. Um, And that was supposed to be her test. And that's essentially when mother's like, I want to get rid of her. And, you know, David kind of keeps her aside and trains her on his own. He doesn't want to give up on his daughter. And then Harper, you know, she was supposed to fall into Batman's arms. He he kind of, he had no idea this was going to happen. He wanted to prevent, you know, he, he wanted to figure out who the next kid would be and how to stop it but then it he couldn't and so he was supposed to take her in and start training her essentially but he decided no you know her father's still alive and so he threatens the dad and like makes tells him you know you need to get straight and clean up and you know take care of your daughter and if not I'll come find you and shake his fist but I feel conflicted with his decision on that because we know that Harper had a really tough childhood mm-hmm. as we get to know her as a character she's miserable they're broke she has to take care of her brother and they just they have it really tough so it's like I think there's probably a part of her that's like I could have been like Dick Grayson and like tuxedos and limousines and like living the good life and you know you made this decision for me that I'm gonna have a crappy life it's kind of unfair but yeah I don't know I'm conflicted about that resolution and then ultimately yeah. I, I think just because of oh go Head, sorry the way she's wired no, no, it, it makes her wanna yeah i was gonna say i think because of the way she's wired too she ultimately ends up being trained by batman anyway so yeah there's just a lot of layers to that like i don't know it's like it's it's not a tidy ending for her no and I, and it's and it's interesting just the different ways we've seen bruce and batman kind of when they either screw up or see a wrong they'll always try to write it and the fact that bruce didn't do anything just let Harper go through her life like that. I still, I that's the part of the story I just felt unsatisfied about. I still didn't understand why Bruce and Batman didn't do anything. I'm not saying like throw money at her and she'll have a better life. I, I wouldn't be satisfied with that either, but it just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed unlike Bruce just to let someone suffer for something he held as a huge mistake in his life. Right. It, it feels selfish, almost like I can't really help her because then Dick's going to find out that and then that really does prove that I am like that. So I'm not going to. It's like it feels kind of self-serving almost. So that was, that was you know, not trying to get down at, but that was the only thing I, I was left, <laughs> wa- left like saying, mm, I'm not sure about that. But again, doesn't detract from the whole thing, but it was just it left me kind of pondering. 
For sure. I think for me personally, I kind of like it because I don't know, there's a tendency in writing Batman. It's like you don't want to go too far, right? You know, you don't want to actually make him a bad person. But at the same time, I do kind of like that he has a big mistake secret, you know, and it's something that negatively affected everybody. It's something that he has to live with. So I, I kind of like it in that way that it's kind of like he's looking back on it and going, yikes, I shouldn't have done that. I think it's kind of cool. And it, it, it calls into question a lot of the other decisions he made like you know was that a good plan that he had and he knew exactly what he was doing or or was he wavering and the fact that we don't really get an answer i think is kind of that's a little bit more satisfying to me than if they were like no he was perfect the whole time and he's just he's batman <laughs> you know it's like i really like batman and i don't want him to be a bad guy and i don't want him to like say like oh yeah i thought about throwing robin out the window and just starting over but at the same time i i do want to see some cracks in the armor you know i want to i want him to have some humanity so i don't know i I, I definitely see what you're saying, but I kind of, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I kind of liked it. No, I mean, with that, it just, you know, I agree. I, I like, he's not meant to be perfect. I, I definitely am one of these these fans of Batman that he is not perfect. I mean, I can point to, we can point to the Ark Tower of Babel where I'm in the JLA run with Grant Morrison, just looking at, you know, working on all the heroes and, and finding out their weaknesses and always having a plan just mm-hmm. in case, you know, that that's his paranoia. So he does have weaknesses. It was just, it, 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 it I left me with more questions, which is fine. It, it was not a detractor from it but it just always left me wondering and saying that's an interesting take i haven't seen batman just leave someone just (laughs) leave someone behind especially when he's he's taken in dick jason tim um it just it struck me as well that's interesting it doesn't necessarily fit but we'll go with it yeah it is kind of like so just on principle you didn't help her like is that right you know or again is that self-serving instead of serving Uh her yeah it it it's his it's his punishment for himself but it ends up punishing her too right it's like is that okay like i don't know yeah it's definitely a a real gray area but with you know kind of looking at the ending of this i just love that they brought in everyone at the end Mm -hmm. and heck they even brought in midnighter no connection to batman whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) and and they just it's the ending of this whole thing is just like a bringing in every single ally that you could ever imagine coming in at the end to try to stop mother yeah, I um I love the the scenes with Midnighter. To be honest, I don't know much about that character, and pretty much what I know about that character is from this comic. <laughs> and like the <laughs> and he's in Grayson too a few times. But mm-hmm. um I love at the end when Colin's like, I met this guy, Midnighter, he's like Batman, except like scarier and gay. <laughs> and you're just like, Yes, like I don't know, you just love that character instantly after reading this and reading him at Grayson because it's weird. It's like it does feel like Grayson went and found another Batman to like talk to like he can't talk Mm -hmm. to Batman so he went and found another one and so to pull him back into this story arc and use him the way that they did was really cool I love the scene with all the orphans that he I guess kills I don't know like he beat up (laughs) um (laughs) and just said he and just said he wanted something saying man I just want to get into this fight I want to hit someone yeah. And like, and uh, so I, I read a review that pointed out like they would have liked to have seen that whole thing play out more. But I think like they probably didn't because we don't want to watch him beat up a bunch of children. <laughs> you know, that's just like, we know that he has to, but like that kind of undercuts the themes in the story if he does. So I think they kind of gave us both like we get to see that panel, but then kind of cut away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just seeing 
you know, just an introduction to said like, it's just what we consider at that point. Wow. Midnight, that was random. And, and whoa, Azrael, that's ra- that's random. It, it, it ends up working. You like, you get, I get jarred. We get jarred from it. It's like, okay, let's see where this is going. Okay. This fits. Yeah. This fits. And, and when they're fighting in all these different corners of the world too, using those doors, um, that felt very like, I don't know, like Kingsman to me, or like, again, like mm-hmm. I keep going back to like James Bond, but it felt big enough, you know, for a story that's that bananas and i just i really like that i agree like there would have been a way to end this where it felt really anticlimactic because at the heart of it it's just stopping mother but she's got these evil bond villain type plans and so like that really helps i think sell like the wrap-up at the end (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and the fact that she has always been one step ahead in the past and in this in the present storyline until the very end when they you know one could say oh well we always figured they would win i said "Uh, i didn't just because (laughs) the way she was the way she was working is she was always seemed to be one step ahead Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm so, but, you know, when we, we get to the end and then it kind of flash forward in the sense of, you know, this is after Bat, Bruce, Bruce Wayne come back a, a, as themselves at that point and seeing, you know, see, seeing Cassandra get her revenge and, and just seeing Bruce come back and have that heart to heart with Dick about who they are and mm-hmm. seeing, you know, what did you think about Bruce talking with, you know, Cassandra and then Harper? Did, did you feel that was kind of a, a good conclusion to their arcs in this story? Yeah, it it felt pretty satisfying to me, like, because we haven't heard from Batman this entire story. He's been absent um, for obvious reasons. And so when he comes back in the end to wrap it up, I think that was really needed. I mean, one, because it's called Batman and Robin Eternal, so you got to see him at some point. Um, And then because he is all of their mentors and it helps us understand how they fit into his life. And, you know, they're different from the Robins, but they're important. And I don't know, I just I, I did like their wrap up. Mm-hmm. And, and he does acknowledge his mistake with Harper. He doesn't, yeah. you know, he, he tries to make an excuse, but he, he acknowledges that's not an excuse. He was wrong for what he did. Right. He's like, and that's something we don't hear from him a lot. You know, we don't hear him say, I'm sorry, or admit that he makes mistakes. And so it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty nice uh, wrap up for him to say like, okay, yeah, I did. Sorry about that. <laughs> And just, you know, at the, the the big splash page at the end, just saying, you know, we, which Robin? All of us. Yeah, I like that a lot. I know there's some people out there that are not crazy about, again, I've said before that they're either not crazy about Robin at all, or they don't like this whole extended Bat family. But I do, and I've grown to like them because of the comics. And I just feel like this series really helps condense and wrap up all the reasons why I like when he's on a team. And, and you say you say that with like some people that don't like it, is that I find it hard for a hero not to inspire others to follow. Right. It, it, it's every single one has had someone follow them and be inspired by them to take on that idea. And, and you know, I don't know if you've seen a you know Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Oh yeah, I love that movie. Just the idea that anyone can wear the mask, anyone can be the hero. Yeah, I think that Into the Spider-Verse, it basically communicated the message that I have felt reading all these Batman comics as to why he needs a sidekick, why I've always really liked, or not always, but why I really enjoy the sidekick characters or the characters that are inspired by the main hero and why they're so necessary. Um, I would love to see, you know, the DC version of that eventually someday on screen, I hope. But I loved Into the Spider-Verse. It was awesome. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's definitely definitely great and bringing a little bit of Marvel into this it's DC episode but you know as we kind of gear towards the end you know the, we, you know the sets up 
you know, the rebirth status quo with Harper, Cassandra, and eventually Grayson coming back to be Nightwing. Is there any other kind of scenes or characters you want to talk about before we kind of wrap the episode up? Um, I guess we've kind of already talked about him quite a bit because he's, you know, probably at the center of all this. But I did really like the Grayson run with Dick when he was in Spiral. So I love that he's in Spiral in this comic. And I think, you know, a big theme in, in those comics is how Dick Grayson is himself regardless of what costume he's wearing. Because I think that's what makes him unique to a lot of other sidekicks is he's worn a lot of different costumes. He's had a few different names and titles. But th- that whole arc does a really good job of explaining like why he he's the the best part of that, like why he stands out, I, I guess, from behind his uniform. And so I think that's kind of a good choice to have him in this particular run as that character still, where he's not wearing a mask and he's just himself the whole time. Plus, it makes for a lot of really cool, I keep saying, James Bondy scenes where he's in a suit and suddenly all the kids turn on him. And I just, I <laughs> loved that scene where they all start saying mother and he's like, oh no. And I'm like, I don't know why, but in any of these stories, I love when they're like in suits and at a party and then things just go haywire. I, I I never get tired of seeing that. So um, I really like that about it. And again, I keep saying I like that run. And so I kind of, I really appreciated the way that they dipped that into the storyline. Mm-hmm. And then, then you've seen the chaos at that point and Jason having to wrestle with the ideas. Of, okay, I can't kill him, but they're trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And, and him being faced with like, okay, I, you know, he's explaining those kids like I'm the original Robin, but I don't like being Robin. Um, I'm conflicted right now. I'm really mad at Batman, but uh, but he did inspire you guys. I, uh, you know, it's like it's such <laughs> a weird place that he's in. And I, I just love it. I like that, that, that that's part of the story. Hey, everyone. Before we go to the next topic, we are going to head into some ads that help the Geek Ultimate Alliance keep the lights on. We don't get to choose what ads come on, and they sometimes can be a bit loud. So I want to give you a three count in order to give you the opportunity to turn your volume down before they come on. Three, two, one. We'll be back in a little bit. So as we kind of bring the episode to a conclusion, kind of looking at what makes this one of your favorites and thinking about the impact this arc has had on you personally, either as a fan or just personally as you, Lisa. I've kind of mentioned it before, but when I first started reading Batman, um, I think because I, I mainly grew up with like the cartoon and the movies, I have just thought of Batman as kind of you know, he's alone. Um, in a lot of the movies, he doesn't have Robin. He's only in like one of them or debatably two, but anyway. And even in the cartoon, a lot of the run that I saw of that show, Robin just wasn't in there very often. And I kind of had this idea of like, you know, Robin should stay in like the 1960s version. Like he's silly. He's not needed. He doesn't need a kid to constantly have to save just to drive the plot forward. And I feel like this arc really explores why that's not his role. He's not just some, you know, plot device that you pull out for Batman to save all the time. And I learned that from reading the other comics. I grew to really like their relationship and that character. And I feel like this run really explains everything that I'm trying to say when I try to sell other people on it, but it does it much better by professional writers that know what they're talking about. And so (laughs) I think that it's a great advertisement for why, why sidekicks are so cool and why Robin is such a great character. No, and I, and I agree with that. You know, like you said, it's it's a deep dive to kind of see what being a Robin or being a Batman ally or a sidekick is. You know, it's it, I think Batman not being there really kind of hones that in and gives them a chance that they're more than just sidekicks. And you know what happens when your your mentor is not there? Yeah, and um, you know 
all the Robins, all the sidekicks, as they kind of mother kind of looks at them as failed experiments, you know, looking at someone who Batman is and, you know, looking at what they really represent. And you had pointed it out to me this morning uh, when you had shared with me the, the article from Comics Alliance. I think that author kind of sums it up the best when they said that, you know, the idea that Batman can't prevent any tragedy, but he can prevent the loneliness and loss that drove them to become what he was and what he is. And it proves that, you know, he can inspire others and can save them from his own fate, but and with them kind of save himself by creating a new family that fills that void of his parents that were taken from him. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes we explore the you know, his connection with Robin is sort of almost like a failed experiment. I mean, especially whenever, you know, Dick becomes Nightwing, it's sort of, I, I think we're sort of looking at it as like he was trying to heal himself, but he let himself get in the way. He's so traumatized, he couldn't really help him. And then he leaves and becomes Nightwing. And so this story is kind of like approaching it from a different angle, I think, you know, where it's, he did grow from it. I mean, he did, he was able to heal in a way and he can't completely heal himself. He's he's always going to be Batman. And I think part of being Batman is, is, you know, being broken, but that doesn't mean that he has to, you know, hurt somebody else. And he, he does have big... Big character growth by, you know, helping Dick become who he's meant to be and helping others be better than him. And I think that's what all parents want for their kids. It's kind of, you know, analogy with that of like, you know, you want your kids to grow beyond you and to be to be better. And that's what every parent hopes for. So it's kind of a, a really nice wrap up for both those characters. No, and I would agree with that. So looking at, as you've tried, as you said, you, you've recommended this for a number of people, how, how would you recommend this to you know an outsider looking in and who do you think this would appeal most to? Well, this one's a tough one. As we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of homework you kind of have to do before you dive in. And I was lucky in the sense that I had already been reading these things. And then I kind of jumped in at this point where this, this book came along right when I needed it. So I guess my answer to that is if you really like uh, what Scott Snyder did with Batman, um, this is another, I think, really solid story arc uh, complement to that. And I think, like I keep saying, I think it really fleshes out Batman, who he is from a different angle from the family angle. And I really like that about it. So I, I guess I would say that, you know, walk in with that expectation. I think that I think it's good. Like you said, a lot of homework, but it, it's it's worth it because if you think back to Snyder's run, there there's not a lot of Robin, Nightwing, there's not a lot of it in, until you get to certain arcs like Death of the Family and things like that when it comes in. But the main brunt of it is is Batman being being the loner. So, but it's, I think you're right. I think it's just a good way to see what that family really is about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of that earlier Snyder run, he's at odds with the whole family almost the entire time. And that's, that's kind of like the Batman that we know, right? I mean, the the grump that's keeping all his cards to himself kind of thing. But I like that this explores him from a different angle because I think, you know, in real life people are complicated and, and so it's kind of cool to, to explore that relationship from a different angle. And I also just kind of like the idea of like, uh, you know, your parents aren't perfect people and they make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. And so this kind of, you know, explores that idea a little bit, but with Batman. <laughs> no, I think that I think that's great. So do you have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap the episode up? 
No, I really appreciate that you asked me to to come on and I'm so glad that we talked about this particular run. I you know, I felt like I could have picked a lot of different books, but I really like this one because it's kind of preaching the message that that I like in these comics. You know, it's like we keep saying it's a deep dive um in in exploring the relationships and I think that that's usually what draws me into a lot of these stories. I think the only other thing I can think of that I forgot to mention, I love that all the scenes in the past take place in Prague. Uh, because I really like Prague a lot. I've been to that city like three times, uh, a couple times for work. Actually, I think I've been there four times. Twice for oh, work. There's four times, four times more than me. <laughs> and then <laughs> twice for fun. And the first time I ever went, I went because uh, I was going with a friend that travels a lot. She's been to a lot of places and she was kind of, she didn't want to go to like Paris or Italy. You know, she didn't want to go to the to the biggest hotspot. She was like, we should check out Prague. And I was like, okay. So I get online and kind of read a little bit about it. Um, I didn't really know much about it at the time. And I was like, wow, this is like so much less expensive than some of these other big cities, but it's a beautiful medieval city that looks gorgeous because, you know, for a lot of its history, there was a time when nobody was visiting it (laughs) for obvious reasons. And so a lot of things are preserved in a way that they are not in some of these other big cities. So, you know, I was like, yeah, let's do it and just fell in love. Like, I I don't know, you know, I'm sure you've been somewhere where you just instantly fell in love, but I loved it there so much that I went back, you know, and even went there for work a couple of times. But the first thing that my husband said when he saw pictures when I got back, because I went kind of like on a girl's trip, he was like, oh, this looks like those Bourne movies. (laughs) Because it's, you know, (laughs) I think the first Bourne movie, uh, it was there. And a lot of these spy films like film there. And that's another reason why this story is set there, because that's such a big element of this arc. So just all those things make me love it. I love the panel where you see the astronomical clock and the fact that mm-hmm. they even included the uh, the bone church uh, where they, they have that little hideaway that was basically like a crappy little medieval recreation of the bone church. Mm-hmm. And I've been to both. I've been to the bone church and I've been to like the really crappy like torture museum where they have like a cartoonish version of everything that you can actually oh, wow. see. Yeah, I'll I'll send you some pictures if you want, but like it's No, definitely. That'd be great. It's so cool. And so the fact that that's in the story too, I'm like, man, this story is made for me. You know, I just love it. So, yeah. And that's and that's something I sh- I didn't even think about, but if if some of the fans or if I find out why if they maybe acknowledge why Prague uh, they chose. I hadn't found anything, nor did I think about even trying to see it, why they chose it. But kind of like what you're saying, it seems to be kind of a the go-to place for a, a mystery slash kind of spy uh, plot at that point. But no, that's that's awesome. That it, I've never been. Uh, it's definitely on, on my on my bucket list of eventually going to. But that's awesome. Yeah, if you want to share some, we'll we'll uh, uh, tweet those out with the episodes so people can kind of get the inspiration for some of the the scenes in the in the movie in the uh, excuse me, not the movie the uh, the, the Novel. Yeah, I'll find a couple of them and then I'll find a picture of like myself too so I can prove I actually was there and these aren't just like strangers <laughs> photos. But yeah, like it's so beautiful. I mean, every picture that I send you is probably going to look like a postcard or a scary postcard um, in the case of the Bone Church. So yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you for doing that. And like I said, thank you for a inspiring this need to uh, um, kind of structure it. And as I said, to give credit where credit is due, thank you for le- allowing me to kind of take the idea of yours and spin it on to uh, comics and, and graphic novels. So, uh, it, and so thank you for that. Thank you for coming on. And so uh, how can people follow you? 
Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at ILTM Podcast. And also I have an I Love That Movie Podcast Instagram. Um, and then you can also follow me personally on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. Um, and I have an Instagram, um, AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And also I have a podcast, as I mentioned earlier, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Player FM, Podbean, um, Stitcher, and just search I Love That Movie and it'll pop up. And then if you want to continue the conversation even more, I've even got a Facebook group. It's closed group, but send me a request and I'll add you. It's just where we're all just chatting. Like I feel like that group is, you know, 50% people that listen to the podcast and 50% people that just want to chat movies. I don't mind either <laughs> way. It's we're just having fun in there. Um, thank you again for having me on. And, you know, I, I seriously can't tell you enough, like how nice that is when you say that this inspired your show, because, you know, that that's definitely like my dream. And one of my goals, I want to, you know, enable other people to do what I'm doing, because I feel like if I can do it, literally anyone can, because I <laughs> have two years in going, I don't know what I'm doing, but I got so much support from the podcast community, you know, the Suicide Squad cast network. I mean, Tim and Scott were huge in inspirations to me. So the fact that I could pass that on at all is just really, really flattering. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm glad you're doing this. I would love to come back. <laughs> if you ever have a need, I would. I love talking comics so much. Like this has been so like therapy for me because I read these and then I just turn around like, there's no one to tell this to. This is another one of those arcs that I recommended to someone and they didn't like it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I have to find somebody else to talk to. <laughs> that's that's the reason for starting this because I can talk to some people who are either fans of movies or kind of dabble in it. But I said, well, if I really want to talk to someone, I got to go out to the, the community and have these conversations. And like you said, it's just nice to either discover something new like this or revisit something that is a favorite of mine. Either way, it's, it's a celebration, which is what this podcast is all about. So again, thank you so much for coming out. I'd love to have you back. So be thinking of that next one because I'll probably come and calling eventually soon for for a, another round. Yeah, but uh, no, so thank you again. So uh, thank you all for joining us. You can follow the podcast. We're on Twitter. Uh, the podcast Twitter is at Finest Believers. And me personally, it's uh, at Chris Balga, B as a boy, A-L-G-A. You can email the podcast at worldsfinesttruebelievers at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to tweet, email me. Um, again, we're, if you want to be a guest on the show and, and would love to have you on and, and provide feedback, ask questions, and just looking forward to this as we keep on growing episode by episode. You can review the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, Google, whatever platform you're listening to. Love your reviews, love your feedback. And um, we look for, I look forward to hearing having you all on the next episode hearing what's coming up next so thanks for uh, again Lisa, for coming on and you all have a good day good night or whenever you're listening to this thanks again and have a good one bye mm -hmm.